colleagues, well, not colleagues really, but um, obviously they were, he was a Jew and they were Jews, and he was frustrated with them because um, the old was fighting to stay in place. If you see what I mean. The synagogue <laughs> was the Jewish place of worship. The temple was the place you went to and the sacrifices were made. And you worshipped there too, but it was a bigger and grander experience, supposed to be a grander experience. Um, the temple came out of King David's desire to build a, a big building for God so that all these things could be there and sort of make a very powerful statement that God was present, the idea of the building. And very often to say, you look on, on television, you'll see the Jews at the Wailing Wall, and as Derek reminded us in the week, with their mobile phones at the same time. Um, but in a sense, in their heart, they're praying for the temple to be rebuilt. You know? The old is fighting to stay in place. We don't only find that with um, religious and, uh, things about God, um, but things of the past which have affected our lives. Traumas, family experiences, even relationships that have been of no value to us, a fight to stay in place. And it's a way that um, God, that Satan tries to keep us from being free people or keep us from knowing what God really wants for us. A, sen a sense of power and authority in our lives and a sense of, um, sense of future. Um, I was reading an article which is called Idola Speccus by um, a, a philosopher, I think, Sir Francis Bacon, who wrote, who wrote about idols of the cave. And it takes in things like in our mind with the prejudices that we gain from experiences in our life, prejudices of different kinds, and, and we tend to hold on to them. And the old is fighting to stay in place, you know? And in, in the Christian circle, in the church circle, this has become very problematical at different times, you know? Um, I mean, obviously, Beacon hasn't always been Beacon. Um, we, we came out of the building in C Street, which was called C Street Chapel, and we were actually a, a congregation of what was called Brethren Assemblies. We were known as brethren. And in a sense, um, I have good experiences of the brethren and I have bad experiences of the brethren. But some of the old things fight to stay in place which have no value. And that happens all through life. I remember a lady coming in once before Beacon started and she said, I really enjoy coming here Sunday morning. She said, if it was brethren, I wouldn't come. And then someone told her it was brethren, and she stopped coming. <laughs> so um, it's the old fighting to stay in place. And um, in, in our story in Acts this morning, it's difficult to find something to really settle on, but what I find is what we have is a battle for the mind. A battle for the mind. And um, you'll, find, you'll find Paul reasoning with the Jews. 
We saw him last week in Athens. We pick up the story. He's reasoning with people who have different forms of belief and understanding and, and worshipping different kinds of idols. And then he came across this altar to the unknown God. So it seems a bit of a funny sort of arrangement, really, but worshipping something they didn't know, really. Um, but as we enter this chapter 18, I, I, I see there's a battle for the mind going on because Paul's not only reasoning with the Jews, he then spends two and a half years preaching and teaching, and his time is given over to applying a message which is applied to the mind. And uh, when it comes to knowing and finding Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our lives and the answer to our world and the answer to the future, that concept, there's going to be a fight for that concept to know that Jesus is the answer. There is a fight for the old to stay in place. Now, I don't know what would stop you believing in Jesus Christ or stop accepting something about Jesus Christ. And I bet you'd, immediately I said that, you would say, well, I don't believe in creation. I believe in evolution. Then you might go on and you say, well, what about Jesus? Do you, do you believe he ever lived? Well, I don't even know if it's a real person. If you look on you, Yahoo News site, which I looked at after midnight last night, it tells us there that people now believe that aliens created God to lead the people astray. And it also says that someone's put forth a theory that aliens captured the MH370 Malaysian plane, that's why they can't find it. So you see, there's a, there is a belief system out there which is believing in aliens, and that belief is taking precedent over things which actually are true. I think Derek, what Derek brought this morning sort of reminding us that in our world there are false belief systems but there's only one true one and that's Jesus and what he did for us and that's in our passage this morning so let's get back to our passage and um, it's Acts 18 and we're going to read verses 1 to 17 Chapter, chapter 18, Roy. Now let me just explain. As, as we read this, we're thinking in the context of our series, which is the unstoppable church. Now first of all, I just want to try and explain, or simply explain before we start reading, what do you think that I mean by church? Because there are false ideas about church, and I suppose if I said church, you immediately think, oh, you think of the ancient building down the road, which has a steeple, or maybe other places, and you think, ah, oh, church. Um, it, it, so what do you think the Bible means by church? Well, very simply, the church has nothing to do with buildings. They're convenient, and it's where people meet. But it's not the building, it's the people. It's the people that actually make up the church. So what we, when we talk about the unstoppable church, 
we're thinking of a crowd of people that's being added to on a daily basis to who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us and that group of people is growing every day. Amen. I don't know what the current statistics are. I didn't have a chance to look it up. But I'm sure some of you know. Any idea? Yeah. Mm. More. Not around here, some other places. But you know, England's had a tremendous opportunity. All around us in this country, there are icons and reminders of Jesus and all the rest of it. We have great responsibility, haven't we? And um, you, you can't say, well, I didn't know <laughs> in the end. No one told me I didn't know because the information is all around us. So talking about the unstoppable church, and uh, is it stoppable? Is the church stoppable? I think if you listen to the media, they think that the church is going to die out. If you listen to many comedy programmes, church is an object of ridicule. And it's you know, thought, oh, well, it's not even worth thinking about. But thinking about what church is in its true context, which is out loving and blessing people and helping to understand things that are going to give them power and authority in their lives and changing situations which are devastating the real Jesus, that's the church. That's the church. Is the church unstoppable? No, it isn't. And there's actually one reason why it isn't unstoppable. I'm just going to be begin with this before, before we read our passage. There's one reason why the church is, is actually unstoppable, and it's a singular reason. It's because Jesus never failed in what he did to purchase people for eternity. The last words that Jesus spoke from the cross, they, he didn't speak them, he cried, shouted out in a loud voice, he said, it's finished. It is finished, tetelestai, I think the word is in Greek, and it's an accounting term, and it says this, all the figures are accounted for, nothing is missing, the books balance, and there's no debt outstanding. So if you think of that in a in a spiritual sense, in a sense of man's need, it's saying us what Jesus did. All the figures add up. The books balance. And that could take in our understanding about life and death and the future and all the rest of it. If you put them all together, you come to the conclusion, this is true. It's a true record. What Jesus did is a true record. The accounting book. All the things add up. And the other thing that it means is it balances in the end. No debt is left outstanding. That's an amazing term because when you think about what Jesus died for on the cross, he died for your sin, my sin, all the little things we do, all the big things we do. And as far as God is concerned, your slate has been wiped clean. That's why the gospel is so ridiculous sometimes, because it means we don't have to do a thing. 
your slate's wiped clean. Every one of us in this room, your slate is wiped clean by what Jesus did at the cross. No matter what you do today or tomorrow, as far as what is written against your life, whether it's the past or the future, Jesus has blotted it all out. You don't have to answer for it, Jesus has. But if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your saviour, if, if you can't find the answer in that, what Jesus has done for us, if you, if you can't find the answer in that, the debt remains to you. Last week, Steve read the words, by this man, because it's fine, so I get it right. right. It talks about this. Verse 31 of chapter 7, For God has set a day, you believe that? God has set a day, and that's future. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus, and he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And although our slate is wiped clean, if we can't take this offer, free gift of salvation which Jesus has given for us, but the judgment remains because we've said no to it. It's quite simple, you know. Do you accept the price that God's Jesus has paid for you. Do you accept it? Is it, is it that wonderful? <laughs> it is really, isn't it? It's so amazing. So amazing. And yet it seemed to be ridiculous. And that's just the way it is. Because it's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the mind. So let's read chapter 8 and see what uh, we find. I did have a title for this message this morning. And... Um, it's called Mosquitoes, Foxes and Sharks. Mosquitoes, Foxes and Sharks. I'll explain this a little bit later. We'll read, it's important to read this passage, really. Okay. Chapter 18 of Acts, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. There's the first reference of battle for the mind, trying to persuade Jews. What would it take to persuade you, we may ask. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And that's the sticking point with the Jews. Hitler thought they needed to be punished for that. That's just one of the thoughts behind it, and so he went about what he did. It was wrong, totally wrong, and totally out of order. We don't do that. No one does that. But in a sense, as a nation, they've missed out so much. And thankfully, and we praise God for this, that many, many Jews are actually coming to Jesus now 
realizing that he is the Messiah. And that's an amazing thing that's happening, happening in Israel today and all around, all around the world. So Paul was exclusively preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. So Paul was battling with the mind of the Jews, you know? The old tries to hold on. It tries to hold on to the fight, to hold on to the things of the past, yeah? Right, let's read on verse 6. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. From Jews to Gentiles. What I want to know is, um, if you watch called a midwife... Is the umbilical cord that they cut real? I don't think it is. It's a gruesome, horrible, sausage-like looking thing, which um, is their very graphic program, a very graphic program, and I have to look away sometimes because I can't <laughs> look, at, look at those things. But, um, you know, a new life is born. And if that stayed connected, the baby would die, and I think the mother probably would. I don't really understand medically what it does, but it's not, it's an unnatural, that would be an unnatural thing. The umbilical cord, it's essential quickly, and as soon as possible, the cord is cut. The Bible talks about old and new covenants. When Jesus, one of the things that happened when Jesus cried it is finished from the cross, it closed what the Bible looks as the Old Covenant, what, what, how God related to people in the past has now stopped. And when Jesus came, it actually changes. It's called the New Covenant. We can't go into it this morning. But there needed to be a cut-off point. And when Jesus died, the umbilical cord was broken from the old so that the new life might survive and come forth. You see this in this passage when Paul moves out of the synagogue. He, he shakes the dust off his feet and he said, your blood be on your own head. And he moves on to the Gentiles. There was a point in which Paul said, enough, okay. There was time for reasoning, time for understanding, time to come to know the truth. But if you won't accept it, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. But the old's going to die. The Bible talks about new life in Christ. It talks about if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. <laughs> what an amazing thing that is, isn't it? Cutting the umbilical cord. So what we have happening here is actually a very, very good thing which is happening because Spall now needed to give his time to people who would believe what he was going to say. So let's read on then. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Juster, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, 
and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into the court. And this man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. He wasn't. He was trying to show them the new life in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court, and then they all turned on Sosthenes, the Racinian ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Um, as we read through the book of Acts, it, it, it reads like a journal. It talks about places and people and experiences. It's quite a unique book, actually. It's actually Luke is logging the movements, um, positively, a man named Paul. And we've read about Paul this morning. And it's how Paul was the, God's instrument to birth, help birth the early church. And as we read through Acts, it's a journal of these people, places, and experiences that we're reading about this morning. And, I, and you, um, you might ask the question, why are we looking at all this which happened so long ago? It's important for the church to look at the man called Paul because he was an apostle. That means he was a founding father of the church. In other words, he, he, God's instrument to get it moving. He was God's instrument to get the church, and I'm talking about the people, moving, not the buildings and not the structures and not the framework, the management, whatever you have, the bishops and the archbishops and that sort of thing. I'm not the structure. You get the people moving into faith in Jesus Christ. He was God's chosen man. And it's because of that that we're actually looking at Acts this morning because Luke is saying, look what he did there, and look what he did there. Listen to what he said. See how he reacted. See how he helped this people grow. That's why we're looking at it this morning. In the sense, it's in that title of the unstoppable church, which I need to tell you is unstoppable because of what Jesus did. Not because of what we do, but in these passages, we actually get indications of what it needs to keep the church moving. And we need to be participators in that, the unstoppable church. I just want to read to you uh, the bit on the front of your bulletins, which you probably all read. It says, A family of Jesus' followers reaching across Herm Bay and further encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. That's in a brief way... Steve put this together, so it's a brief, it sums up what we're about here. We're just in a school building, which we borrow, but we're the church. God's chosen people on earth. And God's put it in our hands to be unstoppable. 
and to move on. But you see, there are problems that come up, and we're looking at these, these things, these complexities that arise that actually get in the way. And we have seen that actually the mind of the Jews is in the way. And so Paul addressed that. And then he went on the fact to teaching them and preaching every day. When Paul actually wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, had it as it had grown, he said, Don't abandon preaching when you get opposition. It is much, because he said the preaching or the story of the cross, the communication about the cross of Jesus Christ, which Derek had up on the board for us this morning, is foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the power. Foolishness and power. Which do you want? Do you want to be a fool and reject what is said about Jesus? Or do you want to have power in Jesus? So you say, I don't feel like I've got power. Well, maybe you don't. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you're, if you are his, and God's got his eye on you, God cares for you, well, he cares for everybody, but it's special because you've taken his son to be your saviour. He said, I can't see anything better, Lord. God is the best, the best that could ever be. He's so wonderful. I see what he's done for me. He's wiped my slate clean. I'm clear of everything. I'm clear of everything. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. But there are things that get in the way. So we want to keep the church moving, don't we, at Beacon? That's what we want to do? Keep it moving. And the people in Christchurch do. And possibly Mark at the Catholic Church do, and, and, and Darren at the Baptist Church. But we, it's not the buildings, it's not the systems, it's the people. And in a sense, we are the church in Herne Bay. And God wants to move us forward. So, reasoning, as Paul did at Athens, reasoning as Paul's doing on a Monday morning in Christian... Sorry, Steve's doing on... Not Paul. He'd be resurrected. Steve's doing on Monday morning. Steve's doing Monday morning Christianity and reasoning. Preaching, like I'm doing today. These are the things which actually move in the church on. And under the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to another place here... Um, just a bit further down. Who's in my place now? That's right, there we go. Verse 7. I want to read this, it's quite important. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Tidius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and believed and were baptized. I was saying in our growth group the other night that um, whenever, you relieve, whenever you read in the New Testament about people being, being, believing and being baptized... In the Greek, which is the original language is written, it's written in, the, in the, what they call the perfect tense. 
And you say, oh, what does that all mean? It means that baptism completes the process of trusting in Jesus. It doesn't make us a Christian, which rules out infant baptism, but it actually confirms what I've done in my heart and my mind. So if we're talking for a battle for the mind, when my mind trusts everything that Jesus has done for me, I say, I actually want to show that to other people. It completes the process. And I just want to throw out that challenge this morning. Maybe you're relying on infant baptism, or relying on something your mum said, or your dad said, or did for you, and it doesn't work. Now, baptism is going to work for you in the sense of you getting to know more about Jesus. Because you say, I'm finished with my old life, I want to start a new life. It doesn't seal anything or wash you from sins or anything like that. It's just a public demonstration that what I believe, the battle for my mind has been won. It's saying to other people, the battle for my mind of my life has been won and I want to show you. But you know, it's going to be a battle in your mind. It's going to be one of the biggest and strongest things that you'll, fight, you'll find you have to fight against. Fight against the wrong really word, but in a sense, you will say, someone will, or something will say to you, it's not important, you don't need to do that. And in a sense, you don't. Because if you become a Christian today, and then Jesus comes and takes you away, it won't matter if you've been baptised it won't do anything different. You're still saved. But it matters in this life because it's a demonstration of the unstoppable church. Because it's when people were believed and baptised and showed their faith, they then moved on. So these things help us to move on. Baptism, it is important. It completes the process. Now, Paul himself, if you... Uh, Read down in chapter 18, in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Ah, do not be afraid. Paul? He was afraid? We've seen how Paul was beaten, in jail, praising God with all the wounds in his back, lying on his feet in stocks, praising God. Paul's afraid? You get afraid? So many things in this life make us afraid. That's something that Jesus has overcome. In the book of Hebrews, there's a book later on in the New Testament, it talks about people's lives being held in fear all their lives. There's some people... And I'm not criticising anybody, this is just the way it is. Some people's whole life is lived in fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the dentist. Fear of this. You know. And the Bible clearly tells us there's one person responsible for fear. And that's Satan. But Jesus has overcome him. And so, in other words, we now have power to work against fear. God gives us that authority to face it up front. So that's why God said to Paul, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And when God says that to us, 
That means he's at work in our lives to help us, to help us through this. Paul was afraid. And sometimes with the, and, I, and I'm honest here because there are times when you're afraid to say anything about Jesus. Fear is one of the biggest things that stops the church moving on. So in a sense, there's a need for boldness. But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us boldness when he comes upon us to speak for him and to tell others about him. So you can see where I'm coming from. There is a battle for the mind going on in our lives and in the church. But God has given us the power to overcome all these things. So what about the mosquitoes, the foxes and the sharks? Last year in Brazil, the Zika virus almost all of a sudden came up. Let's stop the Olympic Games! You know, you, you heard that, I heard that. Of course, no, we can't stop the Olympic Games. We must go on. We must go on. But there was a secret um, move to stop the Games because of the Zika outfires. That just reminds us, you know, as the Church of the Living God, there are things like mosquitoes that try and stop things happening, stop us doing things for God, stop the church moving on. That's Satan's work. He tries to stop it. You know, you say, well, mosquitoes are insignificant, but look what problem it caused. But the games went on. That was good, wasn't it? The church must go on too. Foxes. Foxes. In a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon, it's actually a, a poetical book, and it talks about a love relationship between a man and a woman. A love relationship, it talks about romance, which is God's natural thing for man, men and women and human beings. And it talks about it in its early stages, before they get married, and then it talks about it in its next stage, when, and poetically explains, it talks about what is beautiful about sex, really. And um, in, in the book of Psalms, you'll find a little verse which talks about a, the little foxes that spoil the vines. The little foxes that spoil the vines. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, in, in early literature, wild animals were used um, as uh, typical of what spoils a relationship between lovers. It comes between them. And that verse talks about little foxes, not big ones, little ones. Now, the Bible uses foxes because it was an, a wild animal that was more prevalent in that society at that time. And it talks about the little foxes that spoil the vines. And what it's saying is, there are little things that come in between a man and a woman that destroy their relationship between one another. You know what those little things are? Arguments, resentment, thinking less of your husband and wife or whoever that is you're closely related to, the little things that come in between. We say, well, what's that got to do with the unstoppable church? This is what it's got to do with the unstoppable church because it's, it tells us this. Our relationship with Jesus is easily spoiled 
if we let the little things come between to stop our love for him. We can love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with our thoughts, our actions, and whatever we do can spoil that love relationship with him. That's another way that the church can be stopped moving on. The little things that spoil the vines. What about the sharks? Well, we don't have to look on the news and stories about sharks are becoming more and more and more. They attack. They attack straight on just when they have the opportunity. But now they're actually worked out ways and, and teaching others who want to go swimming where sharks are they're working out ways that you can fight off a shark. Bump him on the nose. Well, there's people to do that anyway. Um, bump him on the nose, punch his gills. But don't let him get behind you. Keep him in sight the whole time. And you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? Because the Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's after your life, and they attack. But you know, the Bible has given us clear ways in which we can actually fight off the evil one and stop him. One of the writers in the New Testament also said, resist the devil, and he will go away. That's the authority he gives us in this life. You say, well, I can't help it. I keep on doing these things. I wish I could get control of that. I wish I could get control of my finances. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. I wish they wouldn't keep doing that. They're all attacks on our life. But when we know Jesus Christ as Savior, he's not only our Savior, he's our friend. And he's the one that gives us power and authority in our lives to overcome. We don't have to say, oh, I go. I just don't want you in my life. There's that interesting bit about the shark. It said, keep him in sight. Don't turn away. Keep him in sight. Always remember that what Jesus did was against our enemy. We need to believe that in here and understand. So we need to, in order to move on, we need to let go of things of the past sometimes old religious things which have no value today in the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep on learning what the truth is from the Bible. And we need to learn how important baptism is in the church moving forward. And we need, and we need to know what it is to overcome fear with God's help. And we need to know who our enemy is and how we can overcome him and all that he has said against us. And I'm going to pray. And uh, I just want to remind with that that if you feel that you just have a sticking point, and you, you say, oh, I just wish I could get over, I could understand that. I wish I could get over that bit. Uh, I, you're in the right place if you're actually saying in yourself or praying, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. It's a battle for the mind, isn't it? It's a battle for mind. God expects no blind faith when we become Christians. You don't say, oh, I wave my hand in the air. I've become a Christian today. No. Believe and be baptised. That's the point.
That's the place. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe you're here this morning just because you just want to be helped on the right road. Help to believe what is true. So, Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus today. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. Thank you that the slate's wiped clean. Thank you that you died for us and gave your life. Dealt with my sin, Lord. Thank you. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And maybe we have that song, Steve, I think, maybe. Yeah. And maybe you'd like to stand. Maybe this is the moment you want to just do business with God and say, well, I'm here, Lord.